0: Ghosts are a kind of worker. They provide <laughs> the important labor of haunting
1: your house. That's a good point. Or, or your enemies. Good point. Yeah, ghosts, uh, demons are lumpen proletariat. Ghosts are workers. <laughs> I'm not going to expand on that point.
2: Do not at me.
0: There. Exercising ghosts is effectively the same as breaking a union, and that's yeah. bad. You're scab. You're like Richard Nixon at that point. <laughs> No, worse, you're the National Guard. Yeah. Whoa. Just opening fire on some hard working class ghosts. Technically all ghosts are working class, even if they're like Victorian spooky women. Or little children. You don't want to
2: be the Ronald Reagan of ghosts. Like
1: I'm trying to remember whether Ghostbusters was very pro Reagan or anti Reagan. I think it was very pro. I remember that, that film being very having kind of reactionary politics. But um
0: well it is about busting ghosts which
1: is yeah. you know exactly busting what do you what else do you bust a union there are only two things you bust that's true don't make the joke it's a really obvious <laughs> joke. There. But, uh,
0: i was thinking really hard and i was it like i was like unions that's it yep <laughs> it all checks out <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome to Death Sentence, everyone. Yay, new episode. Uh, Sorry we weren't here last week. Uh, We were screaming. We We suffered
0: uh, an ultimate techno death.
1: We were just uh, screaming. They killed him. They just straight up killed him. They killed him right in the middle of a jail in in the most biggest city on earth. They just straight up killed the guy. Um, I like how
0: for straight up a full week all of America was united under the notion that they had killed him oh yeah like a straight up fascist would look you in the eyes and be like but they killed him right and you're like yeah they did they killed him and they're like it's crazy they just murdered him and you're like it is crazy I still hate you but we agree right now
2: yeah Yeah, for one beautiful moment it was like immediately after 9-11 you know we were all on the same page
0: Except it was a really cool 9 11 because instead of 3,000 <laughs> innocent people dying, it was one like super pedophile. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he was king of pedophilia, which is not something you want to be king of. That is not uh, normally becoming landed gentry. Yeah, the class traitory, but you know, now you're landed gentry and that's tight. Not this
1: time. No. And then he okay, got iced. Hot, hot take, but. 9 11 was the cool 9 11. Okay, no I mean... one. Okay, don't ask me to expand upon that. If you do, it's emotional labor, and that's just my beliefs. Technically, uh, if we
0: do a power ranking of all 9 11s, 9 9/11 11 is the coolest of the ones on that list.
1: Exactly. Like that's in math, terms baby. Any quality it has, the most of it by virtue of being the only uh, example of itself.
0: Well, well, you explain the joke now.
1: Okay, well, yeah, but...
0: That makes you a joke demon.
1: Uh, anyway, we have a, <laughs> a guest on the show today. Um, Her name is Morgan Giles. Say hello, Morgan. Hi. Hey. Um, Her Skype... Oh, sorry. um, Discord username is Posadist Ho, which is just... It's nah. extremely good. And you can't see if I'm doing the Italian kissy bit, you know. You know what they do? Um, it's a very highly powerful name. Um, Discord like had a problem where she couldn't connect because the name was just too powerful. So
2: I know I just overloaded the system with my fake gamer girl energy.
0: Yeah, we... look, if you're using Discord, you are gamer in the heart. <laughs> i
1: don't know where it matters. In... Game is
2: in the heart. Yeah,
1: the real game is um, friendship and, and compassion. And
0: not saying the gamer word on a, on a live stream. Don't do that. No. no. That's the no. ultimate gamer test.
1: <laughs> you, can say, you can say it here because I can edit it. But um, yeah, if, if, you're on, if you're on Twitch, then don't say any of the gamer words.
0: Absolutely um, maybe not. print out a list, keep it off camera, and keep your eyes on it. And anytime you feel your mouth straying... You just gotta stop. Take a big drink of that water. Pretend you like you were thirsty.
1: You can't say the N game word. You can't say the C game word. The T one is you can't do that at all. Uh, can't say the F one. Ooh, yeah, yeah. None, none mm. of the B's. There's like four B game words. You can't say any of those. Yeah, just um, just don't touch them. And um, did they have game words in Japan?
2: Probably. Any gamer words in Japan? <laughs> yeah, I don't, um, I'm guess I'm guessing yeah. they have.
1: They have like the same, um, like a bunch of stuff. Like, like the N word is probably uh, as problematic there as it is uh, here. I, I like.
2: <laughs> what, what? Oh, like maybe maybe edit this out. But like Japanese people love blackface.
0: Oh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm keeping see, that, like, but um... no,
2: no problem with it.
0: I can't believe I can't believe in any world where we would edit out that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that, that's that's gold. We're I mean, that
2: right there. there are there are young Japanese people that do understand that it's problematic, but for the most part, it's like—and this is a UK reference—it's like straight up the black and white minstrel show, like nah. at least one night a week. Um,
1: Wait, like on TV and... or?
2: Yeah, just on TV, like, you know, on free-to-air TV. Um, It's pretty crazy. And they try to pretend, these like, the actors and the production companies try to pretend that they're just really naive and they're innocent and they didn't know that it could possibly be offensive to make yourself up to look like another race. But um, then the truth always comes out where they're like, No, it was a tribute. Like, we just love black people so much that we want to crawl in their skin, like straight up get out style. Uh, (laughs) It's pretty creepy. It's pretty creepy.
0: Okay. Something uh, that doesn't necessarily get reported on a huge amount is, um, as as Morgan was talking about, there's been a rising youth trend uh, similar to the one across the world of um, like mass self-education on these social rights issues. Which is super important in Japan because that is an ultra-conservative society. It's super conservative. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: yeah, the media is not doing that at all.
0: And uh, yeah, so there, there there's been these rising like youth groups that are um, designed basically to like self-educate or the youth self-educating themselves. Um, and uh, the the other bit is that um, there aren't a lot, but there are black people in Japan, and they notice the blackface, and they're not chill with it. Which, you know, might shock you, but but it mm-hmm. is true.
2: I know it's crazy. But you know, I mean in an ideal world it wouldn't be entirely on black people resident in Japan to educate people. Yeah. And thankfully it's not because there are really good hearted activists that are trying very hard to put out the message that, hey, maybe shoe polish <laughs> should not be in your makeup case anymore.
0: You're like, this can be a very complex issue. But thankfully, this right now is actually very simple. (laughs) Stop doing
1: that. Okay, so the reason we're talking about Japan is because Morgan is the translator. Well, she's a translator in general, but she's specifically the translator of uh, Tokyo Unios. Okay, I don't even know how to pronounce the...
2: Is it Ueno? Ueno, yeah.
1: Tokyo yeah. Ueno Station, uh, which was originally written by you, uh, Miri? Yes. Did I get it right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it is out on Tilted Axis. Uh, I believe it's coming out really soon in the US. It's been out in the UK for a few months now. But it's UK. It should be
2: coming out spring next year in the US.
1: Damn, you guys got to wait for a long time. But it is just like... in
2: time for the Olympics, baby.
1: Oh, OK. That was that intentional or?
2: Yes, <laughs> okay. I
1: think so. <laughs> we'll, we'll assume it's intentional. Uh, and yeah, the Olympics are a big part of this. And um, yeah, Tilted Access is a publisher I haven't really found before. Uh, I found this book because it was in my local bookshop is actually the biggest um, bookshop in all of the north of england uh, shout out to waterstones deansgate and um they put on a like different uh, countries and their great literature from all of them and this was right in the middle of like murakami and people and um better than murakami
2: we're infiltrating that shit
1: yeah and uh mishima yeah I, in fact it was right in the middle of murakami and mishima mishima problematic <laughs> favour of the show yeah. <laughs> A very problematic fave. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's, we have to...
2: He's the problematic fave of Japanese literature, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think we're allowed to be chill with him on account of he iced himself super hard. <laughs> and
2: like, yeah. <laughs> he did like, execute the biggest self-own in the history of the world, so...
0: <laughs> like, I, I want everyone to look at me as I own myself super hard. <laughs> Also if you read the oh, story of him if you uh, read the story of him taking over that um that little little, uh, little government depot that he took over he also did a terrible job of that like it 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 was bungled front to back and it was more or less like I want to kill myself on camera how can I do that the most Mishima way possible so it's got to be gay i've got to pretend to be a
1: samurai <laughs> like <laughs> we we stand a Muscular problematic fave.
0: I think you're allowed to like the work of fascists if they ice themselves super hard Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: yeah, I mean if we're must... always telling them to follow their leader You know, we can't be hypocritical about this after the fact
0: right be like I can like you in one or two instances You either stop your fascism and recant it and Rehabilitate yourself and I will allow myself to engage with you again or ice yourself That's the other way because that's basically permanent rehabilitation facilitation yeah can't can't be a problem anymore
1: he solved the problem of yukio mishima's fascism Mm -hmm. in In a way that
2: no one else could
1: it's true i mean technically his uh his student sidekick who actually cut his head off was the one who like did the deed really was that was that really his his boyfriend or is that just like a myth (sighs) because A lot of machine learned. It's really like, hard
2: to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, his widow has done a lot of work to hide much information about his actual sexuality and relationships. Um, so I don't know, we may find these things out when she kicks it, but um for the time being, I'm still surprised to meet people that are surprised that you've He was gay because he was just the gayest dude that ever existed.
0: You just read one book of his, any book, literally any (laughs) book. And you're like, yo, this is some great queer literature. And someone's like, he's not gay. And you're like, no, he's definitely gay. Have you read
2: this? (laughs) Have you seen the pictures of himself posing as St. Sebastian? like?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean we, we should acknowledge that uh, the gay experience is, is multifaceted, it's it's mm-hmm. not all like Tom of Finland, it's uh, many different aspects to it, but ultimately, yeah, again, picture yourself as Saint Sebastian is is gay as hell. You yeah. Know.
0: That's like classic gay.
1: Yeah. That's that's like canonical gay. But um enough of uh Mishima. <laughs> so um Sir so Morgan, obviously you're not the writer of the book. Uh, no, so we probably can't go too much for like deep into the themes and what uh, Miri was thinking about when she was uh, writing it but um,
2: so how I mean I can you... go a little into that stuff if you guys want oh, sure
1: and, and we can too because we've read it and really loved it this was like yeah. oh boy um,
0: right now I think of this is the best book that we've read this year
1: damn but, yeah. but, Damn. <laughs> that, that's yeah it's high praise cuz we've done some have been some good ones there's been some terrible ones but yeah uh,
0: yeah they've been pretty bad
1: <laughs> yeah especially <laughs> I don't in, know. In, the, in the political realm
0: at the point that's, every, When I'm acknowledging that like every 5 to 10 pages I'm getting misty eyed uh, uh literally until the end of the book I'm like eh, so, yeah, so, no,
1: yeah, yeah I read this in um in the reading room at Manchester library in the reading room there is this colossal dome that looks like what? It's it, it's, it's, just, it's what? It's, it's like a, 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 a it's like probably about hundred two hundred meters diameter dome. Why covered with gold? for, for, for reading. For reading. It's, it's smaller. I know it, it looks. If you look up, it's like God's eye staring down at you. So this ornate. Thing of beauty and it's like a big skylight at the top it's all surrounded by gold and it's all these marble pillars and yeah it, it's it's cool as hell to read in there because it's really quiet it's also um they do this like uh okay long digression into architecture <laughs> uh they do this like um hawk i've a few oh and you'll know of uh hawks more the architect he was in the invisibles yeah. well he, yeah he there was like an architectural movement where they thought that they'd rediscovered the architectural principles of the lost city of Atlantis.
0: Yeah, it I do remember to, this. Yes.
1: It all had to do with sound bouncing around. So, a lot of British buildings built in a certain period have these weird acoustic effects. And I think the Manchester Library is one of them where you'll hear like someone typing on their laptop from a, like 200 meters away because it, the sound bounces a certain way. And every, Alan Mora,
0: uh, actually. A lot of uh, specific thoughts about Hawksmoor, specifically.
1: Oh yeah, he he loves Hawksmoor. I think Grant Morrison was probably biting his, his Hawksmoor flow, but um, yeah. It, so well, it, he it... loves
0: to hate Hawksmoor. He doesn't. He doesn't like Hawksmoor.
1: Okay. But, he um, described his
0: architecture as satanic.
1: Yeah, I can I can see it. I can see it. Um, but yeah, I was reading it there, which is a weird experience. I then went to have, like, the worst sushi I've ever had as kind of like a, <laughs> like a uh, kind of method acting experience. Like, truly terrible sushi. Like a, It was like an Arizona gas station level sushi.
2: Oh, no. And there's good sushi in Manchester, man. You didn't have to do that to yourself.
1: I know. I, I thought going to China, well, they call it Chinatown. It's like Pan-Asian town. Um, I'd you know, get something a bit authentic, but it's like, it was like warm and it was it was on one of those rotatey things and just oh, just no. bad. It, was, it was cut up like with an, just terrible but um so just talk to us about what the book is about what's what's I, it it says kind of on page 1 that there won't be a plot and more than delivers on that but, um, <laughs> what what is it about give gives the pitch
2: so the pitch is basically that it's An alternate history of 20th century Japan into the 21st century told through the eyes of a man who gave his life to build that century and got nothing in return.
1: Mm. Yeah. And his life parallels that of the imperial family. He was born on the same day as the emperor. His son was born on the same day as the emperor's son. and.
2: And, and, and so they on. intersect time and time again in ways that just uh, heighten the uh, the contradictions between their lives.
1: Yeah, I mean, like the the very obvious like point it's making there is there's this guy who's like real uh, salt of the earth working class guy who has literally built some of like Japan's uh, great uh, works, like the I think it's sixties Olympics in Tokyo, and all these sports stadiums and so on, he's gone nothing. This guy who was just born into power in an absolutely ludicrous mythology involving magic and gods and various artifacts, uh, he gets to like live this life of unparalleled luxury and adoration. Uh, that's like... If you want a, a moral of the story, that's the pretty simple one, but it does like a million times more than just compare and contrast an emperor and a regular guy.
0: Yeah, it's it's worth noting that a large portion of... So if it purely focused on that, it would be much more plot-focused than the book itself is. And we can't stress enough that there is no plot whatsoever to this book. <laughs> None. Um, which is actually not uncommon uh, storytelling methodology for um, particularly... Uh, stories from uh, China, Korea, and Japan. Um, there's sort of a sort of how you internalize folkloric stories that then develop somewhere in the back of your head into the germinal version of like telling long form stories. There's um, it's at least a lot more common there to find things that are more passages of time rather than like clear conflict-oriented plot stories um
2: i think there's a lot more emphasis especially in east asian literary cultures on setting a mood more than more than an actual what we would term as a plot i mean in in these countries people people do feel that these books have a plot it's just that the plot structure doesn't relate at all to what we're used to in the west it's kind yeah, of leaves they, off before the conclusion, so you're left to sit there with your own feelings, basically.
0: It's closer to, like, a, a character study or um, placing you within the experience of someone else rather than necessarily giving you... So it foregrounds the people who are experiencing things and the experiences themselves rather than like, oh, where does this go? Uh, X becomes Y and then it becomes Z. Uh, it... Um, Which is, uh, on that regard, more traditionally literary approach anyway, um, where you focus more on the internality of something rather than, like, moving pieces on a chessboard. Um, Although there are many great moving pieces on a chessboard stories from over there. Romance of Three Kingdoms, that's my shout-out for the week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But... Yeah, this, this book, if it were purely focused on those themes, could potentially get more tedious than it is. It, thankfully, is mostly carried by breath and evocation. Like, it's just these tremendously heartbreaking and beautiful passages um, that sort of roll into one another with more of a, a dream logic connection than a, a, a linear... Like, I went here and did this, and then I went here and did this. Instead, it's like the narrator is psychically bouncing off of events and it's causing these like swirls of memory that then div- uh, like divert into other directions. It's like following a river.
2: Yeah. I mean, the important thing that we haven't said that kind of goes some way to explaining the non linearity of the plot is that the narrator is dead. Yes, Mm -hmm. And he is literally just sort of bouncing back and forth through time and observing living people, but unable to interact with them in any way. So you do get these kind of interesting um, jumps between the world around his ghost and his memories and the world before he was alive, even, um, which gives it... I wouldn't say like a lack of structure, but it it gives it a reason for the way that the story is.
1: Mm, yeah, and I mean, just in case anyone at home is thinking this is a ghost story, which technically it is, the ghost. Thing it's a ghost comes story
2: of... in the same way as the movie A Ghost Story is, right? Have you guys seen that film? Yeah,
0: that film is amazing, by the way. That shit is so fucking good.
2: Right, I'm so I glad on I only watched it either. after I finished translating this book. Because if I had watched it before, I would have just given up. <laughs> you're like, I feel super depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I was,
1: I was thinking in, in ghost terms. Um, I don't know if you've seen the film called Personal Shopper. I think it's yeah, no, yeah. Uh, well, if if you that was also think, an
0: incredible movie.
1: Yeah, if you don't think Kristen Stewart can act, then you're wrong. And yeah personal shopper and the one she did before the same director uh, clouds of Silas Maria or something. Uh, mm. Yeah. Kristen Stewart is like Oscar worthy, brilliant actress, but um, that's also a ghost story, but the ghosts seem almost incidental and there are like ghosts on screen vomiting up ectoplasm in that story. <laughs> and, um, and yet they, they seem to be like a tangential part of the plot that the main woman is a psychic who can see ghosts And there's, like, genuinely creepy moments of being in a haunted house. And, uh, yeah, it it was a ghost story like those two things are ghost stories. Then it's literally in one, like, couple of paragraphs where he talks about being a ghost. And the rest is back to, like Lannan said, these, like, beautifully evocative, really heartbreaking scenes from this guy's life. Uh, A big part in the middle is uh, his son, like, sudden uh, suddenly dying and like the buddhist funeral rituals around that which are really really interesting to hear about like on a purely like this is cool information level like hearing about the pure land uh funerary rites is genuinely interesting and then, while uh, yeah i mean being,
2: that's oh. such a big part of it
1: right mm. yeah oh, i was
0: i was just going to say while at the same time being super insanely depressing because he's just and it doesn't do it in the, um, uh, so the language of the author, which, which I think you as a translator capture, um, like, very beautifully. It's, it's a, this incredibly transparent language. There's none of the sort of, I love me a super over-the-top gothic novel. Fucking love gothic literature and the, all the <laughs> crenellations of, of the language and all that. But this doesn't have that. It's very breathy and open, and more just remarks, and then moves on. And when it like hits you that there's this very passive, placid remarking on the witnessing of the funeral of his son, uh, it's just... I don't know. That, that shit hit me in the gut. Mm. One of the many times that I got misty-eyed. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. It's, there was it's not a day that I translated this book that I didn't cry. Uh, I'll be honest. <laughs> Wow, that makes perfect
0: sense
1: to me. <laughs>
2: yeah, it was a rough year of my life.
1: But um, yeah, and this is, a, this is such a sad book. It's it kind of has that um, the vibe to it in general. Is it's it's all it's like this book has already found what all these like kind of post uh, post alt lit writers in America right now. Many of whom are really good. They're all like aiming for this like. Very transparent, spare prose, and this book has already found it and is already out there doing it. Um, and I think part of that we can can we can credit, yeah, Morgan for that as well. Exactly, I was about to say,
0: this is this is a perfect segue into more directly discussing the act of translation. Oh boy, this is actually (laughs) the kind of nurture that I crave.
1: Um, but wait, 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 We, we got a first segue into some uh gut ripping death metal. Oh so, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, yeah, that's super important. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like the format of the show, you know. We it, gotta, it's, we gotta stay, stay true to our. That's route. true. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah, I yeah. love death metal so much. I I I love death metal,
1: <laughs> and like sad books about old men. Mm-hmm. It can be both. Yeah, They're, it's all good. There's room
0: in this world. Yeah.
1: Okay. There's room in this world. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. be a <laughs> All right, um, so we're going to play Gate Creepers' new song. They've got a new album out in a few weeks, probably. No, months, October. Yeah,
0: it's in October, yeah.
1: Damn. Uh, The album's called Deserted. The album art is, I don't even know, can't even begin to describe what this is. All right, I,
0: I can describe it. Look at a Slayer album, and then close your eyes and attempt to draw that Slayer album cover.
2: But yeah, be okay. really good at
0: art when you're doing <laughs> that. Like that—that's an important part of this. You need to be really good at art. But it also has a little bit of vibes of um, Manif- manifest decimation. Is that the name of it? the The debut Power uh, Trip record.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was good. I was thinking Power Trip. Power Trip have that weird, like, gross brown yellow. Yeah. Kind of look to it. And this An
0: almost like Boshian kind of yeah. vibe.
1: It looks like it's premature the painting is like prematurely aged. Or it's like it's like placenta slapped
0: against a screen or something.
1: Yeah, it it's gnarly.
0: Foul.
1: so yeah, and the song we're gonna play off that, boiled over, uh sounds like that looks. Um Gate Creeper are I think alongside Blood Incantation and Mold like the big three of death metal right now.
0: Yeah. They get ragged on sometimes by people who, I don't know, I guess they hate death metal or something. They feel like, why? I don't, I don't know. I, I see a lot of people who are like, oh, they're, they're so boring. Be like, I like how death metal sounds. I don't need every band to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes I just want tight death metal. And they deliver that also ever since they've um ever since they fully incorporate this is the first record that nate garrett is officially a member of the band um Mm -hmm. he technically was a member um for the recording of sonoran um
1: deprivation
0: deprivation there we go um but wasn't credited for legal um band right stuff um the, the whole thing with like LLCs and bands and all that kind of stuff, uh, but this is the first time that he's officially part of the band for a full length, at least. And you can tell the difference of adding in his more explicit, like riff writing capability on the EP that came out before this. Like it just gets this overwhelmingly gross vibe. Like they've dropped a lot of the caveman stuff, and now it's a lot more like venomous. Hmm.
1: Yeah, they they mention crowbar as an influence on here, and that's that's pretty cool. To to I was going to say Crowbar in crowbar, but no, no, don't uh, say that. <laughs> I, I did, but I immediately backtracked on it. Um, <laughs> Kurt Ballou uh, is mixing, not producing, but mixing, um, and it's. I know, yeah. believe
0: the band produced it themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. They did at their Homewrecker Studios in Tucson.
0: That um, is a. Uh... Uh, that's where I think that's Nate's house. Um, kind I know of that cool he has to, some recording stuff in his house.
1: House Home Record Studios. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's but like inviting uh,
0: the devil in.
1: So yeah, here it is. Here is uh, Boiled Over. And then we'll come back and talk some, some nerd shit about literary translation. You know, you love it.
3: you uh-huh.
0: So that was boiled over by Gate Creeper. If you don't like that, you're stupid. Um you're just <laughs> dumb. Like <laughs> And there's no way to fix that. Um you're going to be dumb forever, bro. Mm. Rip. Uh anyway, we're going to talk um, about literary right. translation now. Hopefully this can make you smarter. There <laughs> may yet be hope. Um So I happen to know like a bit about Specific or translation in general, and then Japanese-English translation a little bit more specifically, because it's one of the areas that I studied when I was in university. Ooh. Um,
4: <laughs>
0: one in general is that we sometimes greatly overlook um, some of the practical difficulties of translation. One in general, but two very specifically with something like um, translating Japanese and English, where we sometimes have this presumption. Uh, that we'll see in like fan communities that the best translation is the most literally accurate one, um, which we've commented before on the show is almost never the case in art because a lot of the time, the very little translation will absolutely just destroy like a wrecking ball, like the delicacy of the language put in to say like, especially poetry. It's, it's why specifically the, um, no one holds up the very dry academic translations of Beowulf as the ideal English language translation. Everyone holds up the Seamus Haney one because that was an Irish poet laureate who also knew Gaelic. So he could, he knew what he was reading in its native language and was also an accomplished poet in English. Um, uh, what what was it like specifically like translating this kind of text? Because I noticed that the, the language is incredibly transparent um in, in your translation. Was that something that was like present in the original text that you were holding on to, or was it something that like had to be arrived at?
2: No, it absolutely is. I, I describe I like to think of you, Miri's writing as being kind of like a um a chunk of polar ice. You know, it's so incredibly cold and clear. You can see all the way through it. Um, and maintaining that level of—I mean, it's interesting. Like the uh, the narration in Tokyo Ueno Station is—it does have like a, a strange emotional neutrality at times, but underneath that there is a deep well of emotion that he can't let out so kind of maintaining that balance was really difficult at times there were times where i i really wanted to use a word but i knew that it would it would give too much in a way um it would not be true to the the calm coldness of the original text Um, And I think it is that that sort of coldness that makes the emotional moments of the book so much more impactful is that you you get kind of lulled into this state like kind of a depression like state where nothing really makes an impact on this guy. But then when you see moments such as when he finally breaks down at the funeral or at the very end of the book, which I, I won't. Spoil too much. Um, it makes them all the more emotionally attacking in a way. You, know? you you come to not expect them because you've been lulled into this state of nothing really matters. Um, I had
0: some so I had some I had some questions about um, not specific word choices, but uh, you brought it up the um the question of how do you arrive at a specific word to use because Especially something that comes up a lot, at least from what I've read for um, Japanese English translation is it's not like translating a romance language into another romance language where we have a lot of very if not completely shared then closely shared words that give very strong directionality for how you're supposed to translate it there are like there are some instances if you're translating a romance language into English where you can make a choice that is very clearly a choice on the part of the translator's side that is a slight adjustment um, from the original text. Meanwhile, a lot, of, a lot of the idiosyncrasies of, not just Japanese in specific, but any language that is like wildly divergent from English, like they, they don't have close commonality, um, there's a lot more of the navigating, like, okay, so this can be one of like, like 90 words which one do I um
2: <laughs> yeah my uh my mentor Michael Emmerich said something to me really really early on when I was starting to translate uh which has really stayed with me and he said you have only choices when you're translating you know don't fool yourself into thinking that there is only one right way to go because everything is choice I think that's especially true for a language like Japanese where if you if you do translate literally like word by word you're going to get lost and it's not going to be a good experience for the reader so when I am translating I tend to like read a sentence think about it and then just write something down only later will I go back and sort of kind of fact check like go word by word and make sure I got everything that needed to be included in the translation into that but first things first is just making sure that it sounds like English um, because otherwise it would just be a mess.
1: Uh, Can you give some examples of like phrases or just stuff in Japanese that just is hard to translate into English?
2: Well, so one of the one of the things that's difficult about Japanese is that it as a language loves to leave out the subject of a sentence. It's not obligatory to have the the subject of a sentence, which enables it to do a lot of really cool things uh in terms of like leaving things vague or kind of allowing an author to transition between talking about two things without signposting it. Um but obviously we can't do that in English. Every sentence does have to have a subject unless you're gonna get really, really experimental with your translation. So unfortunately in English, I have to make a lot of things clear that are not clear in the original. Um, and that can lead to some funny moments like asking you, Mary, um, sorry, who who is being spoken about here? And she's like, hmm. <laughs> hmm, <laughs> you know, she doesn't know herself because she didn't have to know. I mean, another thing is there's not really plural in Japanese. So without spoiling too much about the ending, there's, there's sort of a uh, a part at the end where it starts listing things. And I had to go through this list of things one by one with her and ask, is this one thing? Is this two things? Is this, how many things is this? Um, uh, that's another thing where, yeah, I, you you just, ha- you have to determine in English. Um, otherwise it's going to be non-natural, you know, it's it's not going to make sense to an English language reader. Um, I mean, those are really basic functions of the grammar that you have to deal with, not even getting into, you know, idioms or whatever. And all so, that
0: has to be balanced against maintaining the, um, the the thematic and literary consistency of the work as well, which which winds up making it this, like, tremendously difficult act. It's one of the reasons why, like, we brought this up before, the the anecdote that Murakami has in part of his, like, greater staff, a specific English language translator who just does Murakami, and he gets paid well enough to literally just work with one guy. And will, like, send him chapters as they're being finished. So that way it's worked on alongside. Um,
2: Yeah, but that dude doesn't get royalties. Yeah. 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 None of Murakami's translators get royalties.
0: Yeah, they just get a, like, a little a stipend. Fee. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Murakami insists on getting all the royalties for all of his translations worldwide, which is really shitty.
1: Yeah. Let's just put he's... that out there. Just have interest. I... What what how is Murakami like he, he's like the one Japanese writer everyone in uh the West can name, but how is he perceived in Japan? Is he like hometown hero? Or is he a like, little bit. Know, like Jonathan Franzen or someone?
2: Uh, I mean, among among the, the cool literary community, I would say he is kind of perceived like Jonathan Franzen a little bit, like people love to clown sense. on Murakami, <laughs> right? Um, but then, you know, there are other people saying like, well, we shouldn't clown on Murakami too hard because he has enabled a lot of other Japanese writers to get translated. Um, but, I mean, there is a sense in Japan that like, Murakami doesn't really do interviews that much as you guys know like he doesn't doesn't really do press if he puts out a new book but he will sometimes do press and interviews abroad and so there's a little kind of sense like he thinks he's too good for us.
1: (laughs) So what you're saying is we could potentially game on the pod?
2: Oh, that... oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. I mean, he probably likes death metal. I know he likes jazz and all of that, but like, you know, he probably secretly listens to death metal, so I think you've got a good chance.
0: This I'd love to him ask him, like, I'd love to be like, so Murakami-san, uh, why do you hate women? <laughs> Is there a reason did something happen to you?
2: Yo, I'd love to ask him that, too.
0: Because <laughs> it's like, I, I mentioned that to my partner who had um just like, hey, I um who's part Japanese, but hadn't gotten very much into the literary end of that, and was like, oh, I want to get in touch with that. And I am like, oh, it's good. I encourage that. Um, and picked up Murakami, because I was like the easiest thing to find in the library. And I just made an offhanded comment of like, oh, I'm surprised that you picked that up. And they were like, what? And I was like, well, they... Um, uh, how do I put this? Uh, Murakami is a huge misogynist, but in a weird, very specific way. And there's no easy way to... I describe it verbally, but when it clicks in your head, you're like, oh, oh, I can't unsee it now. And then they brought up like two thirds of the way through a collection of short fiction. And it's like, I don't think any female character ever had a name. Um, <laughs> men had names, but not women. They were just women.
2: <laughs> yeah, one of my friends, and, and this is not science, but also don't at me. One of my friends has this theory that you can tell exactly how bad a dude is going to be in bed based on the number of Murakami books on his bookshelf. Oh, um, yeah, it's terrifying to yeah, think about. I've but, all mine yeah.
1: I'm, I must have sold all my Murakami books <laughs> when I moved house, so I'm, I'm probably a god by now.
0: Nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I well,
1: got it. Up. it. the felt-
0: I felt when I was young that he was a little bit too too entry core to be re- like to admit the snobbishness that I had as like a 15 year old but it was also like all the like really twee indie kids liked Murakami and I was like no I'm not gonna be like you fuck you <laughs> um, I like death metal I want the death metal of uh, Japanese literature and then you know you stumble into your uh, uh, woman in the dunes and your Mishima and you know slide into it like sisyphean is definitely very death metal japanese oh, yeah. book um <laughs> that shit's so dope um oh my god but,
2: yeah yeah yeah.
0: but yeah i'm glad that we can all clown on on uh murakami uh
2: <laughs> the world joins together to clown on murakami it brings because it like he's
0: it's like he's he's okay like you read any given book and you're like this is fine and then he meets someone who's like, I love him. And you're like, do you read books like often? Just, just every now and again? Because it seems like you're more now and
2: again kind of person. <laughs> um, it's like the Japanese equivalent of like Harry Potter. Like, just read another fucking book, please. Yeah. Anything else.
1: So, so speaking of reading other books, like what, what Japanese literature should we check out? Like, what, what's good out there right now? I mean, aside from the obvious, uh, like Mishima and people like that.
2: Right. Well, I mean, there's a a new translation of a Yoko Ogawa novel out called Memory Police. Um, came out in 1994 in Japan, but it's really dope. I mean, there's something there for everyone, people that are just into, you know, literary fiction, but there's also stuff there for people that are into science fiction, fiction, um, it's, uh, it's excellent. It's uh, about a world where... Actually, just forget that. I'm, no, I can't describe it. Um, let's see what else is there.
1: Oh, okay, I've got, the, I've got the page here. Uh-huh. Uh, when a young novelist discovers that her editor is in danger of being taken away by the memory police, she desperately wants to save him. For some reason, she doesn't forget. And it's becoming increasingly difficult for him to hide his memories. Who knows what will vanish next? cool okay yeah I it.
2: that's pretty sweet um what else is there god i don't know um please edit this out um, <laughs> no yeah i have no idea like i just saw that there's a couple of new Mishima books out but that's pretty much uh it for the moment i think kind of a quiet spell
1: so are you working on any other uh, translations next, or um, what's coming up for you?
2: I'm working on another novel by Yumiri, actually. Um, oh, cool. This Tells one is called The End of August, and it's a fictional but semi-autobiographical novel about her grandfather, uh, kind of explaining how her family came to be in Japan. Uh, Yumi is ethnically Korean. Um, and despite being born and raised in Japan, she holds South Korean citizenship. She mm. cannot speak Korean, um, but it's a it's a big political issue yeah. in Japan because uh, it touches on a lot of things that are kind of taboo to talk about in uh, in modern day Japan. you know mm. people
1: yeah tell yeah. us about the um like the status of like Koreans in Japan because that's something we probably don't hear a lot about in the West.
2: Do you want me to talk about why there are Koreans in Japan or
1: um I'm just like how they're treated and like why there's like this this weird racism towards them?
2: They are treated very, very poorly, and it is getting worse. Um, there's increasing numbers of right-wing demos against Korean residents in Japan. Um, every little thing seems to set off the right-wing and the fascists more and more. Um, and Good currently, I know it's, it's such a totally strange phenomenon. So <laughs> uh, I'm glad that I can explain it to your listeners. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, there are Korean people, ethnically Korean people like you, Mary, who were born and raised in Japan because Korea was a Japanese colony. And then after World War II ended, they had a lot of difficulty getting back to Korea. For some people, it took five years or more um, because there were so many Koreans that had been brought over to Japan to do forced labor in factories among other kinds of work uh, conscripted into the army, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, now, some people, it took so long to be repatriated that the Korean War had broken out, and they obviously did not want to go back to Korea in the middle of, of the war. But then when the war ended, they were forced to make a decision to choose South Korean citizenship, choose North Korean citizenship or relinquish that identity, choose a new name and take Japanese citizenship. If you take Japanese citizenship, you have to take on a Japanese name.
1: Wow. God, I didn't know. That's that's so weird. Yeah. It is
2: pretty weird.
1: (laughs) Japan has some extremely
0: um, strange, um, well, not strange. It's actually explicitly an ethno-fascist approach to, uh, to nationality where like it was, it was raised recently that on, on census forms in Japan uh, they inevitably list anyone who is a Japanese citizen as being Japanese which mm-hmm. um, deeply obscured a lot of people who were say Chinese and brought to Japan Korean and brought to Japan, Southeast Asian um, even it becomes more conspicuous when it's say like clearly a black person, or like a European who is listed as being y- Yamato Japanese. And you're like, that what? No, that's clearly not correct. Um, And the government holds like two stances. One of them is like, our census forms are accurate, shut the fuck up. And then the other one is like, if you become Japanese, then you are now Japanese, and that is a greater kind of... And you're like, okay, that... That's fair, and that fits more what race is, but also you're deliberately erasing people's ability to even research themselves, let alone... Um, So that's where we get, like, really funny... um, You'll get, like, two sets of numbers. There's the, like, uh, ethnic breakdown by census that the Japanese government will give of, like, how many Japanese people live in Japan, how many um, Koreans, how many Americans, things like that. And then you get the one that most like, experts think is accurate, but it's all fuzzy numbers, because it's... They deliberately obscure the paper trail by that. Um, there's also similar, uh... This comes up as well in weird, um, marriage law. Uh, (laughs) marriage laws that exist just in Japan, where to get legally married, you have to be erased from your own family registry, which is a whole thing. Um, the whole... Registries. Uh, and added to another person's family registry. Oh, and yeah, I've been, heard about that. Yeah, there have been big pushes by... It becomes a weird, like, very particular thing because there's been pushes from feminist groups to do away with the family registries for pretty obvious reasons, sort of the standard global resistance to um, the misogynistic constructs that surround ma- marriage. But then queer... Communities tend to like the registry because it allows them to immediately get certain legal protections that, that kind of can't be overridden easily. Despite the fact that yeah. the Japanese government hates gay people, it's they hate they hate queers, hate them. Um, One like, of the really know.
2: strange things about the system is is right that you can adopt an adult basically into your family, which is a workaround that some queer people use uh, to have legally recognized family relationships uh, in a country where there is absolutely no uh same-sex marriage whatsoever
1: wait so you um, can people like will like adopt their boyfriend yeah wow
2: yeah i mean it used to be that that's way kinda, in america as really well dynamic. like dynamic there was a I, I remember hearing about a case here in america where a uh a couple had done just that and then when same sex marriage was legalized in their state, they wanted to get married, but first they had to
0: Unindop- <laughs> legally, <a different> <laughs> legally
2: unadopt, wow. which is, a, yeah, a whole new world of difficulties.
0: <laughs> wow. I mean, the, the logic is pretty mechanically clear, but also when you look at the mechanism, you're like, well, this is heartbreaking in a weird way, where it's like, well, if we can't get married, but I can legally adopt you, then I can sign paperwork that says, If something happens to me, medically, you have the right to make the decision, just like anyone, like any child would. And likewise, as your guardian, I would have the ability to make decisions over you, especially sign emergency paperwork. And then we can get a single insurance thing that would then cover me and you. And if we wanted to get a group home, it couldn't be declined because it's a queer couple. Because technically, on paperwork, it's just a family moving in, not a couple move in yeah so it's
2: yeah there's also there's absolutely no anti-discrimination laws for housing or whatever on any level in Japan so you know a lot of foreigners have a really difficult time renting an apartment renting a flat um but queer couples really really struggle unless they have set themselves up as a a family in this way um i mean there are lots and lots of um local areas now especially in tokyo that are uh, providing certificates um of a relationship not not a a marriage certificate that would enable people to rent together but um you know then you're kind of tied to an area for life it's uh it's really difficult the entire family registration system as you said just makes everything fucked up for everyone (laughs) that is even slightly out of the norm of expectations
1: so given like all this fucked up shit and as a like non-japanese person you would have probably gotten some of it and as a woman you would have gotten the misogyny as well like why is japan good why do you like why do you supposedly go go back there why why did you get into it and don't say. I'll anime. start by
2: saying I'll start by saying how I got into it. Um, I'm from Kentucky, and there's a huge Toyota factory here, the first in North America. Uh, basically, my parents felt that it would be a pathway to a, a good job if I learned Japanese, and hmm. I went on a really short-term exchange to our sister city in uh, in Yamanashi Prefecture in Japan, which is like, you know, you send like a kid from rural Kentucky to rural Japan. Wait, um, wait,
0: wait, wait. <laughs> Hold on for a second. Did you say that there is a sister city to the city you grew up in in Kentucky that is in the middle of Japan?
2: Yes, yes. That's incredible. And, uh, <laughs> every, every summer. So like we're sister cities because a guy from my area lived there before the war and then left during the war and then came back immediately after the war ended and imported a bunch of tractors and uh, other farm equipment to help the people in the area kind of get going again economically. And so that's the entire reason there's this connection. And every summer in this area in Japan, they have like a summer festival. I mean, most areas in Japan have a summer festival. But theirs is a little different because their summer festival involves driving John Deere tractors oh. down the main road in the town and people oh dancing God. around them.
0: Oh, my God. I love that so much. Oh, my God. <laughs>
2: so yeah, like, you know, a couple a couple hundred Juffies women in Yukata's dancing around John Deere tractors. It's it's the perfect <laughs> synthesis of two different nations, deeply redneck culture.
0: You're like their candy piece in a town. Yeah,
2: (laughs) everybody loves tractors.
1: I love
0: the the beautiful fact that, as as a white American man who uh, could potentially go to Japan, uh, you more or less can have diplomatic immunity if you keep a big big stash of big cowboy hats. And anytime (laughs) you find yourself in trouble, just hand out cowboy hats. (laughs) Fucking love cowboys, they love white people who are cowboys, especially also black people who wear cowboys and if you're like i'm from america and i brought you cowboy hats they're like holy fuck
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i i don't want to i don't want to like overplay this but like I, i lived in tokyo the last two years and one day i was just walking down the street and this old dude came up to me and asked me in japanese are you american and i said yes and he said in english I love Trump make America great again I was just like oh my god there's no escape what do I do I just (laughs) I just sort of smiled and said yeah America and then ran away and but what I really thought was like yeah if I had a cowboy hat right now I could could get out of here and feel way less awkward.
0: (laughs) You could just sidestep it. You could be like, Yeah, yeah, here's your cowboy hat because I'm from America. I'm leaving.
2: (laughs) That's what I do. I'm the ambassador of cowboy hats.
0: Although, granted, we do see, we did see a lot of um, support for Trump specifically in the like uh, the Abe aligned um, political sectors of Japan because uh, Shinzo Abe, uh, one of the big fuckheads of the world right now, um, he sucks. aligns himself very strongly with Trump um, for reasons yeah, then... uh, that make very little sense. It's it's destroying Japan from the inside, but...
2: Oh, no, it makes perfect sense. Here Here's the deal, right? The deal is Abe wants to revise the Japanese constitution so that Japan can have a standing army again. Yeah. Trump thinks that japan is not spending enough money for the privilege of having the american army and air force and navy based in japan so they're kind of in agreement like it's just that they're both trying to play each other in a weird way that doesn't seem to make sense but totally makes sense like they each have something that the other one wants you know abe also wants the american army out of japan So they have that in common. And Trump thinks that the Japanese are not grateful enough for the uh, military protection that we supposedly give them. And that would all be solved if Japan could have an army again. So it makes perfect sense. It's just like the complete lack of self-respect that Abe shows in the pursuit of this goal, like just completely putting up with Trump Straight up making fun of his accent and and talking like a caricature from a nineteen forties racist propaganda film to him. I don't know. You kind of love to see it because Abe deserves to be owned so hard. And yeah, uh, I'm on board. Cool. At this point, all there is is accelerationism. I think so. <laughs>
0: That's true. There is no hope. Granted, there's also no hope in accelerationism, but there is being dead, and that is a kind of hope. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow, t-shirt slogan. It, it Just, stops if you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> but that's I going don't have the, to read the, the news
2: anymore if I'm dead.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you've also lived in Britain, and I'm sorry. Um, I'm not going to go yeah, into country. the whole... Yeah, bad, bad country. Really, just a a blight on the world. If-
0: also, you people eat insane food. I love looking up traditional British cuisine, and it's one of the few nations of the world where I'm like, are they are they eating are they eating pig shit? And they're like, kind of, yeah.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, we are. Uh
1: huh. <laughs> love a good uh, larks tongue in aspic. That's some good eating. Mm. But uh, yeah, so
2: can't wait till Brexit when we get to eat all that traditional good food again.
1: Yeah, I probably will end up eating a lark's tongue and the rest of the lark if I can catch a a lark, because <laughs> I will have no other food.
0: <laughs> well, birds I can catch. You better stock up on big bags of rice. I
1: I already have. When uh, when we were going to uh, No Deal Brexit uh, last year, I, I filled up my Brexit pantry with um, got so much basmati rice. I'm I'm lucky to live near a Asian grocery, so they've actually got this like m- like Human body size and weight, bags of rice. Oh yeah,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. It's going to be be really
0: exciting when uh, you guys are severed from the continent, and uh, Boris Johnson eats one small English boy every every day for breakfast. (laughs)
4: Yeah,
1: just to because he's convinced himself he's a god, and uh, how he (laughs) he sustains his power.
0: He needs a fresh supply of orphan blood in order to uh, which means, of course, he has to kill the parents before he eats the boy. Um because not you're gonna run out of orphans at a certain point. So he's gonna have to start making new orphans.
1: I mean he
2: I mean he, the conservatives are doing very well at making new orphans all the time, so it's yeah. not and a big deal. Yeah.
1: Ignoring the orphans we already have and Yeah, it's uh yeah, this whole period of history is fucked on really every level.
0: Um I'm glad that technically America is doing better than Britain right now. <laughs> which is <laughs> You know, more more one country limboing other the lo- under the low bar of another. But, you know, whatever.
1: I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait I mean, till
2: the yeah, the, in. the period after the Brexit vote was, like, the most chill time for me as an American living in the UK that I'd ever experienced. Because no longer could anyone own me. Like, <laughs> I'm unownable. Yeah. I am untouchable.
1: Y'all, Y'all fucking married proposals. <laughs> but uh yeah, so we we got that to to deal with. It's uh, gonna come up in like what October? So um
2: October thirty-first. Oh, Happy cool. Halloween.
1: Oh, that's really awesome. We get to the spookiest and saddest day of the year. Well that's made that actually makes the whole Brexit thing even more of a fast than usual because everyone was going to be dressed as spooky ghosts while the country is destroyed that's 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 cool that's cool um I also i love normal.
0: i love how um like like trump showed up and made a bunch of uh otherwise um innocuous uh, artists and musicians totally show their ass uh Brexit came out and made us learn things like half the members of Iron Maiden are shitheads, which honestly probably does. Um, the sex John,
1: pistols were always Yeah, banned. John Lydon came out yeah. in support of Brexit. I was like, What the fuck? Like Yeah, he's always been a Tory. Like yeah. all the way back, anarchy in the UK. He was it was all all just an act. He's always been a conservative.
2: I used um, to live in in Islington uh, yes, for my same. for my sins, um, and I used to read like the the local paper, whatever it's called, and there would routinely be letters in there from John Lydon complaining about the noise coming from the pub near his house, Good, and I'm the glad. newspaper would always put them under the heading "If it's too loud or too old." <laughs>
1: Yeah, man, that's right. <sighs> cool. What, what part of Islington were you in? Because I was on uh, City Road.
2: Yeah, I lived uh, in Angel on. Oh shit! You've been like,
1: like a hundred meters away from me. That's weird.
2: Yeah. Do you know, like the you know the chip shop next to the Pound Store? Uh,
1: but by Angel Tube Station.
2: Yeah, I've maybe kn- about five minutes walk from Angel Tube Station. Yeah, I lived yeah. right above there. It was like the first time I'd ever lived in an apartment and I thought it was so tiny and so horrible. But um, in retrospect, it's the nicest place I'll ever live.
1: I guess compared to (laughs) Japanese apartments, it's probably heaven. But I lived above a a Greek restaurant that would play like honking atonal Greek music at like 3 a.m. on a Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) And and also there was also a porn theater. I didn't even know these things existed. <laughs> it was like a, a creepy basement where people would like, like really, really old men, like guys so, in the nineties. So, so a cum a hut.
0: You lived. You
1: lived by a cum hut. Basically, yeah. It's just like you went down into this basement. There was a film on. You whack off and come out. <laughs> I think it's incredible that it's
0: it's illegal to jack off in a porn cinema, which which raises the question about. the anticipate you're going to be doing for the hour and a half that you're in there. Like, are you just going to lock it and then leave?
1: Apparently, that's what you're
0: supposed to do, apparently. Yes,
2: was...
0: Enjoy it like it's a film. Yeah, like, I mean, this characters. ties in
2: really nicely to Tokyo Ueno Station, right? Like, There's a very pivotal oh, yeah. scene where he seeks refuge from the rain in that's a porn I theater. Was thinking
1: about, I was thinking about that when I was reading that. So, um... Yeah, porn theaters are one of the many things that I think we are glad to have left in the past, even though they've been replaced uh, by a giant conglomerate that controls all porn, which is
0: a, a <laughs> oh, weird at thing to say Am- out loud. At least in America, I won't have to get a porn pass.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. <sighs> I've, I've, got to, I've got to, like, talk to... You're going to have to a look a man in the, in the eye page, and you're yeah. going
0: to have to <laughs> tell him what you want.
1: Yeah, I'll be like, yeah, I, I I wanna whack it. I wanna like beat my meats. Like, it's almost
0: 2020. We're all home. we're all on to special shit now. The internet's ruined us. The, 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 yeah, exactly. The, the tube sites. Yeah, no, that's ruined us. You're gonna have to look a man in the eye and say what you actually watch. Yeah. You're gonna it's have so to do happy. that. Or just never see it again.
1: <laughs> non
0: option. Um, <laughs> There's gonna be so many people who are like, fuck it, I'm becoming a monk. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, British reticence to talk to people about anything will just basically keep the entire country celibate for at least a year.
0: <laughs> it's like, how is her mm-hmm. population growth negative nine? <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> how are nine
0: people dying for every one born? <laughs> it's
1: all the self castration. That's because the only way to deal with a problem with a proper <laughs> stiff upper lip is just take the. <laughs> you- take your grouse hunting shotgun, just aim at your crotch, and be done, <laughs> be done with the whole thing.
0: Everyone moves to Italy, and you're like, so, Pope, I know that you have an edict about how there can't be any more castrati, but what if we just came into a supply? <laughs> Could we arrange
1: a deal? There should be more castrati. Um, Is that a take that you want to put on the <laughs> I've already said 9-11 was good. It's, it's all downhill from here.
0: No, right. you didn't say it was good. You said it was cool 9-11, which okay. technically is true.
1: Okay. <laughs> I meant to say it was good. Um, yeah, my, my accelerationism is uh, Wahhabism now. I'm just... That's, uh, that's what's going to win. It's going to be like June. You know, these desert tribes are just going to sweep over the decadent uh, West. Um, so the show's devolved as it usually does into uh, talk of <laughs> shooting your dick off and uh, <laughs> <laughs> really extreme anti-American uh, sentiments so um, mainly really from the, the Americans yeah. but uh, yeah so but um, it, it does bear to say that uh, Tokyo Ueno Station is so so good just An absolutely amazing. brilliant book. Yeah. I, yeah uh, I
0: pre-ordered it after I finished reading it. Um, a, lot of, a lot of books, even when I really like them, we'll, we'll talk about them on here, and I consider my payment to be more the, the promotion of work. But there's a handful that I go out of my way to like, get a physical copy of because I want to have it like the physical token on my, uh, on my bookshelf. Also something to hand people be like read, read this you you fuck <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah just such a good book really well done with the translation uh, folks at home if you live in Europe you can probably buy it now you you may be able to get your copy uh, somehow um, I'm not going to send you mine because I like it it's a nice object it looks great um, but uh, yeah Americans uh, wait until next year and uh, spring of next year and do get it, or well, I'll try and remind people. I'll put this episode up again around that time. But um, Thank yeah, you. absolutely brilliant book, absolutely brilliant. So um, thanks very much. Cool. So we're gonna uh, leave off with probably the only pair of bands that uh, could compare to um, this book in terms of quality. Uh, the powerhouse that is Uniform and the Body come together to make one band. uh, The Unibody. We don't call it
0: that. That's got to be what it's called. The One Body now.
1: The Unibody. It's it's, it's Uniform and the Body. It's a a duo of duos.
0: It it clearly says on the cover, Uniform cross the Body, like it's an anime. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
2: Like Random House and Penguin merging to become Random Penguin.
0: <laughs> or Penguin House. Penguin house. Yeah. Penguin, house nice.
2: penguin house must be an anime.
0: <laughs> there is an anime about that penguin who fell in love with the uh, Kinoko um, cardboard standout that they put in its pen. But... Oh. Yeah, that was such a cute story.
2: That's, that's oh, my adorable. heart just melted again.
0: He held, he held the cardboard that he fell in love with uh, as he died. What? Don't yeah. tell me that. Did you not know about this? No. Yo, Wait, no. I... A,
2: it, it's a the penguin... only thing more designed to make you cry than Tokyo Ueno Station.
0: The penguin. So it, there's a there's an anime called. Uh, Kinoko friends. It's also called Japari Park. Sometimes the whole thing. So the whole thing is that animals have an anthropomorphic, like human version. It's like reverse furries, in that they're not they're not animals that look like people. They're people that have it. it it's furry adjacent, at least, but they to promote it they took like the cardboard they took cardboard standouts of the different like this is the white tiger anime girl and they all have big baps and thick thighs because it's anime and they're all perverts um you know um uh, and they put the emperor penguin one in the penguin exhibit amongst all these others in in a big zoo and one penguin fell in love with the standout and kept bringing it rocks like it was you know We've all seen Happy Feet in March of the Penguin. So he's, he's bringing it rocks. And they were like, oh no, oh no. So at the end of the promotion, and he would like spend all of his time with it, like chirping at it and staring at it and rubbing his face on it and stuff. They then remove it from, from the penguin exhibit at the end of this whole promotion. And he falls into a deep depression. He stops eating. He hangs out just in the corner. He won't look at anyone. He's like lethargic. And they're like, we have to put it back. And they're like, we can't put it back. You fell in love with an it with a with a big BAPS anime girl. Do you know what that's gonna look like? We're a Japanese zoo. We can't Americans are gonna make fun of us. Jesus. And they're like, Yeah, but the penguin's depressed. And they're like, It's not our fault that the penguin fell in love with anime. Um <laughs> eventually they cave and they put it back in, and uh he basically penguin married it. He like brought it a really big rock and would spend he like brought a big rock that he would sit on and then he would like get off of it and nudge it towards uh y- you know like they're raising an egg together like what gay penguins do with each other as like we're we're gay penguin married because we're raising this rock um he he did that with the standout anime girl and then when he reached um i think old age for penguins it's like 8 or 9 it's it, so he got the like penguin old age um they let him be with it as he was dying, and as he died, he cradled it. Huh.
1: Okay, I'm not sad the penguin is dead. In fact, I'm glad, because <laughs> as an anime fan, he was probably incredibly racist.
0: That's, that's probably <laughs> true, sadly. the racist
1: in the world. He
0: probably was a racist penguin. And a pervert. That's yeah, like, he definitely was <laughs> a pervert. That's 100% true. If you see these things, you're like, yeah, he's a pervert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Why and, would you make these Except Jack off?
1: Yeah, and the, the anime penguin is probably like 10 years old. But I know in, in the show, she's like 3,000 or something. And, <laughs> and then he's like, I know she looks like a 10-year-old, but she's actually a 3,000-year-old immortal penguin god. So it's, it's not really gross that I'm like dry-humping this cardboard cutout all day.
0: It's actually fine, yeah. and good, yeah.
1: even. Yeah. It's actually better than normal penguin women. <laughs> Look, I'm glad this penguin died, and if I watched him die, I would have laughed. <laughs> so, the third of my indefensible takes of the day. <laughs> I just
0: so the Unibox.
2: His name <laughs> so, was Grape, though.
1: That's true. Okay, I like him now. That's a really <laughs> name for like Any animal called Grape is okay by me. Um, Okay, Uniform and the Body. We were on that for a while. So Uniform is an incredible industrial noisy punk band. The Body, I think you will have heard them because we've played them on literally every episode because they do the theme tune. Uh, well, they, they've been kind of conscripted to do a theme tune <laughs> via stealing.
0: Um, <laughs> it's fine to steal. Yeah. That's my hot take. Steal away, baby. Yeah, From it, anyone and anything. Just steal.
1: That is a good take. I like that one. Yeah, It's not even a bad take like mine. That's just a it's generally a good take.
0: There's nothing you shouldn't steal. Nothing. Nothing at all. Steal
1: literally anything. I wish I could have steal, stole the anime uh, cutout while the penguins dying. <laughs> 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 it's so terrible. <laughs> it's, it's, the last thing he sees is his cardboard wife leaving. <laughs> <laughs> He's saying yoink and running away with it. And I'm dressed up as like an old-fashioned robber with like a stripy shirt and a, a swag bag, <laughs> and, he, and the cardboard cutouts in my swag bag, and I'm running away. And I got a little domino mask on. But yeah, that. <laughs> and that's the last thing he sees before he dies. He goes to Penguin Hell. <laughs> uh, Grape
4: coon. Oh. No.
1: Anyway. Uniform Body are a great uh, duo of duos. Uh, they've put out an album before called Mental Wounds Not Healing in 2018. Uh, they've just come out with Everything That Dies Someday Comes Back, except that Penguin, which is in Penguin Hell. Um, they didn't mention that on the, on the album. Um, so we're going to play a track called Vacancy. It is exactly four minutes long. Uh, Langton, you did a review of these guys, so tell us about the album. I haven't actually heard this yet. And I should these uh, are my like two favorite bands.
0: So, um, everyone loves nine inch nails in twenty nineteen, and every band tries to sound like nine inch nails. This is fine though, because nine inch nails fucking bangs. Um on uh Everything That Dies Someday Comes Back, uh which they explicitly acknowledge was named after the uh perfect lyric from uh uh, from Atlantic City by Bruce Springsteen, um, mm-hmm. they've decided that they are Nine Inch Nails. They are the nails themselves. Um, oh. And uh, the whole album sounds p- pretty much like that post-Nine Inch Nails, like, industrial heavy rock vibe that, like, Health has been doing. Um other groups, but Health is the first and most obvious one that comes yeah. to mind. And this is fine, because yeah, that's just left. fire. That's like, so good. And honestly, it feels like a really fruitful and like solid kind of um contemporary sound. It has you know the you, get, you got that punky energy, you got the the heavy metal like heaviness of it, you got like weird danceable grooves. You can imagine having sex to a metal song, which is we don't get that as much as as much as we'd like, but you can mm-hmm. imagine it to this. Um, and it' would be like the the weird nine inch nails like dark kind, and you're like, oh yeah, it's tight. Um, Gross. yeah, it's just, it, 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 yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just the like a really like powerful uh like body music record. Like body music is in like music made to move your body, not music by oh, yeah. the body. Although technically that is also true. The bonds actually right? been doing that for a while now. Like their um their collaborations with Full of Hell are much more on the electronic side. Um, mm, yeah no one deserves happiness was
1: yeah that was kind of their jumping off point but they stopped being like the world's greatest sludge band and decided to we're going to be the world's greatest electronic band instead but also at the same time the world's greatest sludge band so yeah just love the body i think they i think they played manchester and i missed them because they were part of this like stupid like one day festival that uh you know where they, they like book one good act, then a bunch of crappy local bands who will sound like Pantera and <laughs> um and just I don't like going to those things or supporting them even if the body are playing, so I didn't see them this time. And I still have yet to see them live. So um yeah, gotta wait on that one. But um yeah, so go out and buy Tokyo um Station, um, support uh you and Morgan Giles' continued um collaboration uh, by the new one when it comes out, because that sounds pretty cool as well. And uh, yeah, this is Vacancy by Uniform in the Body.